Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. This life can put a lot of demands on us to perform and succeed in business, education, athletics, and even at home. Have you ever wondered, though, what God's definition of success is? What does He want from you? The answer to these questions could be slightly different for each one of us, but there are some foundational elements that are the same for everyone. In our new series, Becoming God's Best for You, we'll explore what it is that God really wants for us individually and how you can become the best version of you as God desires. We believe He wants to speak to you today, so sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Good morning, Day 3 Church. How are you feeling at the 1030 service? Yeah. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Lynn warned you that I was going to be coming and yelling at you guys today. Uh, but my name's Kenny, if we haven't met yet. And uh, right now, I'm currently serving at, uh, as one of the teaching pastors at a church in Shelby, North Carolina called Hope Community Church. And me and my wife are in the process of moving to this beautiful part of the state of hope of planning a church uh, sometime in 2022. My wife could not be here with me today. She actually decided to take a vacation in Italy without me. And so she took my brother's wife and his kids with her. So they're all out in Italy while we're here bacheloring up this week. So pray for us. They get back next Saturday. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Um, I'm very grateful for Pastor Lynn. He's been so helpful uh, for me and my wife throughout uh, this process that we're in, this new journey that we're in, because we have no idea what we're doing. And it's good to lean on someone with experience and wisdom. And um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, to be here today and help close out this series that you guys have been going through called Becoming God's Best for You. If you have your Bibles, you're going to be asked for. And um, I, I'm very appreciative that Pastor Lynn asked me to do this message specifically because it starts off here with a quote that's been very influential in my life, and I'll explain why here in a moment. But it's this quote by Francis Chan, his book, Forgotten God, that says this. It says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know that I couldn't be doing this on my own power. So this quote was very impactful for me because I graduated college from North Greenville University in 2013, and I was trying everything I could to be a youth pastor in the city of Greenville, South Carolina. I applied to I don't know how many churches, but none of the churches would look at me or even consider me because first, I wasn't married, and second, um, I hadn't been to seminary. I couldn't afford to go to seminary. It just wasn't in the cards for me. Out of all of the uh, churches I applied to, I only had one pastor that would even meet with me. And one day I was sitting in that pastor's church and he had just finished preaching a sermon on Acts chapter 16. At the end of the service, I was praying a prayer that I had prayed hundreds of times, like, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. My life is yours. Tell me where to go. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Do whatever you want me to do. And in that moment, he responded. And I didn't hear like an audible voice. You know, it was more like a very clear thought that I knew wasn't my own. It's kind of hard to explain, but I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, go to Shelby. And I didn't want to go to Shelby. 
You know, I, the only reason I knew that Shelby, North Carolina existed is because I had dated a girl from there who had since broken up with me. So I didn't want to go to Shelby, North Carolina, but it just kept getting stronger and stronger. You know, I tried to fight it. I tried to push it off like it was just me uh, thinking crazy, but it kept getting stronger. And I finally, I emailed my resume to the only pastor in the area that I knew of. And he said he'd get back to me in a few days. And the next day I go into work. I was bagging groceries at Bilo with 16 year olds. Here I was at ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ with my college degree, bagging groceries with 16-year-olds. It's a very humbling experience that I probably needed at that time of my life. And I go into work, and I have a random lady in the meat section at Bilo in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, tell me all the reasons why I should go to Shelby, North Carolina. I said, all right, well, that's weird. And then that night, I'm having a dream that the pastor emailed me back. I couldn't make out what the email was saying. And I woke up, and he was calling me. And so I shot up out of bed. I tried to pretend like I didn't just wake up. I'm like, hello? Yeah, no, no, no. I've been up for hours doing my devotions, talking to Jesus. You know, all the spiritual stuff. <laughs> and he started talking and he tells me, he said, I got to tell you right off the bat, we, we have the position. We'd love for you to come, but we wouldn't be able to pay you. So I thought, all right, well, I can't do that. So I'm just going to hear him out, let him talk. I was honestly just trying to find a polite way to end the conversation. But then a quote kept coming to my head, and I couldn't quite make out what the quote was. But after we hung up the phone, I picked up Forgotten God, and I read this quote. I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I want people to look at my life and know I could not be doing this on my own power. So I had to go. I had to move to a city where I didn't know anybody to work a job that couldn't pay me. And the result of that was I had no choice but to rely on the power of God in that season of my life. And because of that, I saw God come through time and time again. I had to see financial miracles. I saw student ministry able to be birthed from nothing. Uh, a couple years in, uh, we were able to go through a church merger, and then they, we became Hope Community Church, and then they brought me on full-time two and a half years after I got there. And a couple years after that, I uh, met my incredible wife, and right now, this season of my life, like, things are good. Church has grown. We got two campuses, good steady paychecks, family now. Things are good. But I have to ask myself, Am I still relying on the power of God the same way I was back whenever life was so uncertain? And I don't know if I can honestly answer that. If I'm going to be honest that this season of my life where things are good, things are easy, I don't know if I've been relying on the Holy Spirit as much as I did back when things were so uncertain. You see, the danger of things being good is that we begin to rely less and less on the power of God. And one of the fears that I have for the American church is that we have it easy enough to not have to rely on the Holy Spirit the way that we as a Christian community used to do. The way we see the Christian community doing so throughout the book of Acts. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today, but to give a little recap here in chapter 1 um, of Acts, Jesus gives the Great Commission. He says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, and he ascends into heaven. In chapter 2, we see 120 believers gathered together in an upper room, and then the Holy Spirit comes rushing in like a mighty rushing wind. These believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start speaking in all kinds of different foreign languages. And there are people from all over the known world in Jerusalem at that time are hearing these local Galileans speaking, quote, the mighty works of God in their own native languages. So the people are confused. Some people think that they're drunk, but Peter gets up and he preaches and about 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day and this incredible movement we now call church began. 
And in chapter 3, Peter and John, they're heading to the temple. They see a lame man who's begging on the side of the road. Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then this man's ankles are strengthened, his knees are strengthened. He gets up, he dances a little jig. He's so excited, the people are filled with wonder and amazement. And Peter takes that opportunity to tell all those people about Jesus. And then when we get to chapter 4 here, the trouble for the church begins. Here, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Skip down to verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the cornerstone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen? Then verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and recognized they had been with Jesus. Would you pray with me one more time? We'll get into this a little bit further. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these moments that we share. Thank you so much that we get to gather together as a community surrounded by your word. I pray that right now in these moments, all the distractions and the stress of life would cease as we focus on you and your goodness and your glory and your love. I pray your Holy Spirit would completely fill me right now. I know that I cannot say anything of any significance or importance without your power, without your truth, and without your love. So I pray you speak to us today. I thank you. We don't have to ask you to fill this room because we know by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're already here. So I pray in these moments, you would just make us more aware of your presence and see Jesus more clearly than we ever have before in our lives. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You know, Peter was one of Jesus's most passionate and enthusiastic disciples. He was so passionate that he declared he would fall, follow Jesus anywhere, even if it meant prison or death. And it really seems like he means it. Whenever they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, he's ready to fight. He cuts a guy's ear off. But then in the panic and the confusion of Jesus's arrest, he denies Jesus three times. He completely fails. But remember, failure is not a period, it's just a pause. And Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to over 500 people. But one of those times that he appeared to his disciples specifically, he focuses in on Peter. You can read more about it in John chapter 21. But Jesus appears to the disciples while they're fishing on a boat. And he pretty much recreates the scene of when him and Peter first met. And then he calls them ashore. And they gather around and sit around some coals of fire. And he pretty much recreates the scene of whenever Peter denied him three times. Then he asked Peter three times if he loves him both to have Peter confront his failure and also so that Jesus could cover his failure. And whenever we get to the book of Acts, the majority of the first half of the book is almost like Peter's comeback story. You know, everybody loves a comeback. 
The greatest sports games we remember are the ones with the best comebacks. The Olympians that we fall in love with every four years are the ones with the best comeback or underdog stories. The best movies we see are the ones with the best comeback scenes. And we are enamored with comeback stories. And largely in part, I believe it's because there's something deep within us that understands our need for redemption. Wherever we are on the spectrum of faith, if we are completely honest with ourselves, we understand our propensity to fall, to mess up, to fall short. And because of that, we, we can either live in utter fear of failing or we can look to a power that is beyond ourselves. Because we all want to get to the point where we can go from messing up to moving on, from failing to moving forward, from being broken to being bold. How do we get to the point like Peter and John did in Acts 4, 13, where it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. They recognize they've been with Jesus. Don't we all want to get to the point where we leave people astonished? Doesn't everyone want to exceed expectations? Wouldn't you love to be so bold that it superseded any sense of being underqualified? So where do we get this kind of boldness? I truly believe that boldness comes from an awareness of the presence of God. You see, their boldness caused others to recognize they had been with Jesus. And I'd be willing to bet that these leaders, these elders, these Sadducees, they recognized the same boldness in Peter and John that they had seen in Jesus whenever they opposed him. So what happened to Peter here? Peter seems to be this roller coaster kind of a character. You know, he says he's going to follow Jesus anywhere, even if it means death. They come to arrest Jesus. He's ready to fight to the death. He cuts a guy's ear off, but Jesus tells him to put his sword away. And Jesus allows himself to be arrested. And Peter, he follows them from a distance. And he finds himself in the courtyard of the high priest. But then, in this time, people recognize him and he completely cowers in fear. Denies even knowing Jesus three times. But then we see Peter again at Pentecost boldly preaching. And then preaching again in chapter 3. Then he's getting arrested and probably taken back to the same courtyard of the high priest that he originally denied Jesus in. Back there in that setting, we're thinking, based on his track record, he's probably going to fall into fear again. No, he's probably going to deny it all again. But this time, Peter stays bold. So what's the difference? What happened to Peter? I think it's like this. Brian, can I get you? Now, Brian is a big dude. He, Brian, I really want to be my friend. So if I know that Brian is my friend, he's got my back no matter what, I'm going to walk around with a little bit more swagger, a little bit more confidence. I'm going to feel good about myself. Still, can I get you? <laughs> now, he gave it right there. So, still, if he comes walking up and he looks angry at me, look angry, <laughs> and he asks, hey, are you Kenny? I'm going to address this situation. So, okay, that's a pretty big dude. He looks in great shape, um, but I got Brian by my side. I'm feeling pretty good. Mr. Biceps himself. <laughs> Let me feel good. So I'm like, okay, I could be okay. Yeah, I'm Kenny. And he proceeds to cuss me out. Go ahead, cuss me out. <laughs> it's a good Christian right there. You know, you know, addressing this situation, I might be a little bit more bold. I might be like, okay, I might say something back, entertain the conversation, because I know Brian's got my back. Now, if I don't have Brian, thank you, sir. 
If I don't have Brian and I'm in this same situation and Stowe approaches and he looks angry, look angry, oh, I'm going to address this situation a little bit more carefully now. And he comes up and asks me, hey, are you Kenny? No, man, I, I don't know who Kenny is. Like, you want me to help you find him? Like, I, I'm, I'm here for you, man. Like, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm probably not going to be as bold because I don't have Brian there with me. Thank you so much, Stowe. Appreciate you. Give Stowe and Brian a round of applause. <laughs> I think this is what's happening to Peter. So Peter, whenever he's in the garden, it doesn't matter that there's an entire mob of Roman soldiers right in front of him. He's still willing to swing that sword because he's got Jesus by his side. He's been with Jesus for a while now. He knows that this is the most powerful being in the entire universe. He's seen countless miracles. He's seen his glory and his majesty firsthand for three years. So he could be a little bit more bold. Then he finds himself in the courtyard. All of a sudden, Jesus isn't by his side anymore. So he has a bigger propensity to fall into fear. Now, you could be asking, wait a minute, but now when we get to the book of Acts, Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He doesn't have Jesus there by his side anymore. So why is Peter consistently bold now? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Jesus said in John chapter 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Jesus was letting his disciples know it was actually better that he in human physical form would leave so that he could send the Holy Spirit to us. The prophet Joel prophesied of when the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And Peter quotes him in Acts chapter 2 when he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. This is completely radical because up to this point in time, the Holy Spirit would only come upon certain judges, warriors, prophets, and kings. But now a completely new era is being introduced. Now the Holy Spirit would not not just be given to select leaders from a select people group, but now the Holy Spirit would be available to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. And Peter knew that he had the presence of God with him still wherever he was because he truly believed that he had the Holy Spirit. And the result of that was him being bold. You see, boldness is just a byproduct of truly believing the gospel. Whenever we truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he was going to do. When we truly believe that we are who he says we are, we'll be more apt to be bold out of instinct rather than just out of discipline. Now, you might be thinking, all right, Kenny, I can see that. I get that in theory, but I still, I've got a type A personality. I still need those steps I can take to help live this out. Well, I got you. Today, we are going to look at five baby steps to boldness in the time we have here together. And in these steps, we're going to see how Peter and the early church utilized each of these steps. But I think if we can just take each step individually as they are, we can begin taking those steps to living the bold and empowered life the Holy Spirit empowers us to live. So here, the first baby step to boldness is simply say something. Say something. Now, this is easier said than done. And this is hard for us because we could be looking at this passage here in Acts 4 and thinking, wait a minute, but Peter's getting in trouble because he said something. And now that he got himself arrested, it would be a whole lot easier just to not say anything. But Peter just keeps on talking about what he got in trouble for talking about. But that's exactly the point that we need to get to. The first baby step to boldness is say something when saying nothing 
would be easier. Because you see, the Christian life is not a passive one. We don't see Peter or anyone else in the early church tiptoeing around whenever it comes to sharing the gospel. We don't see the people presenting the gospel as if they're apologizing about it. You see that way too often. People say, well, you know, I'm sorry, but the Bible says that actually is sin, you know, and, um, you know, Jesus really is the only way to salvation. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. But, you know, we don't see any of that in the early church. They understood Romans 1.16 said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. People were captivated by the authority that Jesus spoke with. Our pastor says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So why would we share the gospel as if we're apologizing about it? Because why would people want to believe what we believe if we sound like we don't even really believe it ourselves? Now, this doesn't mean we go around beating people over the head with the Bible and burning Harry Potter books, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Later on in Peter's epistle, he would say, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you, but do so with gentleness and respect. So if anyone comes against you, we'll be put to shame. So we are to speak the truth in love. We are to do so with gentleness and respect. However, we need to understand that we have the most powerful message the world has ever known, and we have been given through the Holy Spirit the power and the authority to relay that message. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So when we go out to share the gospel, there is a power that goes with us. That's why Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. This is an explosive power. This is an explosive power that comes from the presence of God in the form of the very spirit of Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, Jesus was the very personification of power. I think too often whenever we talk about Jesus, we picture him as this lackadaisical passive character floating around in a white robe talking about peace and love as if he's more like the first hippie than the all-powerful son of God, you know? But Jesus did talk about peace and love. When he talked about peace, he said, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. He talked about a powerful peace that surpassed all understanding. When Jesus talked about love, he talked about a perfect love that casts out all fear. He talked about a powerful love of which there was none greater than a man would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus showed the greatest example of love in all of human history when he allowed his blood to be poured out on that cross. But then praise God, he rose from the grave and declared all power and authority had been given him in heaven and on earth. And then he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is the position of all power and completed work. But he still did not stop there. He then sent his Holy Spirit and empowered his apostles and all of his people to be his witnesses and declare his name in power to the point of which they were referred to as those who turned the world upside down. And that same power lives inside of each and every one of us who believe on the name of Jesus. That same spirit of God that was there at creation. That same spirit of God that parted the Red Sea and shook the walls of Jericho. The same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of each and every one of us who have declared Jesus Christ is Lord. But we will not be able to live in or experience that power if we just keep our mouths shut. Always remember, conversion is not our responsibility. You, me, none of us can save anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't change anyone. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. 
Conversion is not your responsibility, but conversation is. You're not responsible if someone rejects the name of Jesus, but you are responsible to at least have that conversation. You are responsible to at least say something when saying nothing would be easier. Second baby step to boldness is take advantage of opportunities. We see in the first four chapters, Peter taking advantage of every opportunity that he's given. In Acts chapter 2, the people were all confused when they hear these local Galileans speaking in their own native languages. Their interests are piqued. So Peter took that opportunity to tell them all about Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, there's a lame man who was healed. And people were filled with wonder and amazement. And Peter took that opportunity to say, why are you looking at us? as if this happened because we're super spiritual or something. He said, no, this is just God doing what God does. We were all lame. We were all broken because of sin, and Jesus came to make us whole. And then Acts chapter 4, they get arrested, and Peter just takes that as an opportunity to now talk to the most influential and powerful people in that community about Jesus. Know that no matter where you are, what you do, or how old you are, you have opportunities around you every single day. You know, I shared before that when I first got to Shelby, about the first two, two and a half years I was there, I uh, wasn't able to be paid by the church, so I had to find other, uh, other jobs. And for about two years, I worked in a physical therapy clinic as a tech. How I got that job, I have no idea. I have no medical experience training, and I was horrible at any sort of biology or science, anything in school. But somehow I got this job, and so the... Um, People would come in and see the physical therapist. He'd treat them for the first 30 minutes, and then I would take them through their exercises for the next 30 minutes. And after I was there for a while, I, I felt convicted that God wanted me to make the most of the opportunities that I had there. Namely, he wanted me to pray with patience. And honestly, I struggled with that. And I wrestled with God. I argued with God. Because if I'm being completely honest, I didn't want to come off as one of those hyper-spiritual annoying guys. You know, like people already knew that I was a youth pastor at the time. They knew that um, what I was there, they knew about my faith. I wasn't shy about talking about my faith, but um, I just didn't want to be like that annoying youth group camp counselor who's just always in your face all the time, you know? I didn't want to be that guy. And so I was struggling with it. I was wrestling with God, but it just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And one morning I woke up, I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm going to compromise with you. You ever try to compromise with God? <laughs> Doesn't work great. He... I said, all right, if we have a first-time evaluation come in, a first-time patient come in, I'll pray with them to start the therapy process. And I'm thinking, all right, that's a good compromise. You know, there's a good chance I'll get out of it because we only had like two or three new evaluations every week. And I walk in, it's about 7 o'clock in the morning. I don't know about you, but I am not a morning person whatsoever. I don't think I've ever had a spiritual thought before 9 a.m., okay? And I walk in the clinic at 7 a.m., and I go and I look at the schedule and right there highlighted in red is a first time evaluation, first patient of the day. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, Lord. <laughs> and all of a sudden my heart starts pounding. And then the therapist comes out, he gives me the chart, tells me the exercises to do. I start walking over to a room. My heart's about to pound out of my chest. I'm so nervous. I don't know why I'm a youth pastor for goodness sake. Like this, I, this should be easy, but like I'm so nervous. I'm frantic. I walk up to the doorway and I stand there, not long, but just long enough to make it awkward, you know? And she just kind of like looks at me and I promise it went just like this. I just stood there and went, um, do you believe in God? She looked at me and she's like, uh, yeah. I said, okay, cool. Uh, can I pray for you? And she's like, sure, buddy, come on in. <laughs> and so I, I prayed for her and then we went through exercises. It was awesome. I was feeling great about myself. Like there I am, a Christian walking in obedience is what I do. 
And then I go back to the schedule, and the very next patient, again, is another first-time evaluation. And my heart starts beating even harder. Like, I just did this. I shouldn't be nervous anymore, but now I'm even more nervous. And I walk up to the door, and he just did it again. Do you believe in God? <laughs> and then I got to pray with her. And over time, I, I began to make it a routine. And any time that person came in, and I was blessed to have uh, ownership of that clinic who w- was okay and actually encouraged us to pray with patients. And... I began to make it a routine, and I began to notice that over time, I got a little bit more bold, a little bit more confident. I was still a little nervous every single time, still felt a little awkward every time, but it got easier over time. And I began to notice that, you know, when people came into physical therapy, they were already hurting, frustrated, broken. You know, they're not in the season of life they want to be in right now. You know, that athlete didn't want to go through that injury. A patient didn't want to have that surgery. Life is very inconvenient for them at that moment. So there was like this heaviness that they would bring with them into the clinic, especially that first time. And then whenever we would pray to start off the therapy process, you could feel almost like a shift in the atmosphere. You could almost feel like a little bit of heaviness being lifted off. And you got to set, uh, set the tone for the entire therapy process in a brand new way. Now, so I encourage you, I challenge you, find those opportunities around you in your everyday life. Maybe you, don't, you won't have people right in front of you that you can stop and pray with, but have those people you're praying over. You know, have those lists of people you're coming in contact with. You know, if possible, if you have the, the opportunity to set the tone for the environment, maybe you have worship music playing in the background. Whatever it is, pray about it. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to find out what that opportunity for you looks like. And you won't feel like doing it. You won't, if you wait to feel like you're ready to do it, you'll never do it. You'll probably feel nervous. You'll probably feel awkward. If it scares you, that's probably even more confirmation. It's probably exactly what you need to do. But you never know how we can encourage someone's life or even change someone's life. But why do we struggle with this so much? Because we cringe at the first thought that someone's going to think we're a little weird or a little crazy because we're too bold with our faith and The only thing we can do about that church is repent. Because we serve a Savior that not only risked his life, but gave it so that we could be saved. And we get caught up with a fear of a tainted reputation rather than in a desperation to see lost souls get saved. You think Jesus was concerned about his reputation whenever he allowed himself to be beaten, mocked, and spit on, and hung naked between two thieves on a cross? Now Jesus was more concerned with those of us who'd be sitting in this room today. He was more concerned with those who would accept him rather than those who would reject him. And instead of focusing on what if they reject me, we should be thinking what if they accept him? Because you might get rejected by 100 people, but if one person has their entire eternity changed forever, it will be more than worth it and all of heaven will be celebrating with you. Take advantage of those opportunities. And the second and the third step to boldness goes along with it. Create opportunities. Don't just wait around for these opportunities to present themselves. Intentionally find ways to create these gospel opportunities. You know, whenever we were in college, we had a college ministry that I helped lead. And... um, on Fridays for fun, sometimes we like to go downtown Greenville and just find people to pray for. You know, we weren't going down there to Bible thump or try to spark any theological debates with people. We just want to see who we could love on and encourage with some prayer. Because you'll find that most people, very rarely do they ever turn down prayer. 
And you ask them, hey, can I pray? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Even if they think you're weird and want you to get away as quickly as possible, they'll still probably let you pray for them. Now, very rarely have I seen people actually say, no, 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 I don't want you to pray. So we, we would go downtown Greenville and we find people to pray for. And we got back to campus one Friday and my, my other brother was with me. We graduated college together and uh, he got back to campus. He was just looking a little shook. I'm like, you all right, man? He said, bro, we were, we were downtown by the bridge and we saw this guy by himself and we walked up to him and just said, hey, can, can we pray for you? And he looked at us and he said, you know the spirit? I said, yeah, yeah, we know the spirit. And he said, this guy just started preaching at us. He said, it was crazy. It was, like, it was like we almost formed a circle around him and he's just like looking at each of us in the eye. He's quoting scripture. He's talking about all the things God done in his life. He's just preaching a sermon at us. And then at one point, he just stops. He hangs his head. He said, man, I came down here to kill myself tonight. He said, I, I lost my job, lost my house, lost everything. I got my family in a motel right now. I'm worth more dead than alive right now. So I came down here to end it. But now, sitting here talking to you guys, I remembered, I'm, I'm reminded all the times God's been faithful throughout my life. And I know he's going to be faithful again. And they're all standing there, jaw dropped. Because what did they do? Nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They walked up. They just said, hey, can I pray for you? And he starts going off on this tangent. They don't say another word the entire time. And God impacted and probably saved this man's life. All they did was show up. God did the rest. I told our church a few weeks ago, the Christian life can be summed up in this way. God wins. We just show up. We just get to watch him work. And you don't have to worry about if, you're, if you know enough or if you're eloquent enough or if you're strong enough. Because you know what? You're not. I'm not. We're never going to be. But you know what? We don't have to be because the Holy Spirit is. You never know whose life can change if you just intentionally create gospel opportunities. And the more that we see him work, the more bold we can become because the more we understand it's all him. It's not me. So create those opportunities. The next baby step to boldness is stay within community. Stay within community. Look at the first thing that Peter and John do whenever they get out of prison. Verse 23 says, when they were released, they immediately went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. They immediately, the first thing after they get released from prison and beaten, they immediately go back to their friends, their community. They didn't allow themselves the opportunity to get in their own heads and allow the difficulty to mess with their minds. They go straight back into community where they know that people will speak life into them and bear the burden with them. This is exactly why church is so important in the life of a believer. I see too many people, whenever they're going through a struggle or they've had a fall in their life, their default response is to seclude themselves for a while, try to deal with it on their own before getting back into community or back into church. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the, as you see the day of Jesus coming back drawing near. That's why consumerism Christianity doesn't work. I hear a lot of people go about it. Probably wouldn't say it this way, but they go about church thinking, all right, I'm just going to show up this Sunday I get a good word from Pastor Lynn. I feel a little encouraged. Get me through my week. And then 
I'm going to leave, and then if I, if I feel a little down next Sunday, I'll come back, get encouraged again. Or we think, oh, I'll just stay at home. I'm going to watch today, just hear the sermon. It's the same thing, right? But it's not the same. The writer of Hebrews says that's not the way church works. It says church is supposed to be a community of believers who gather together with the intentional purpose of encouraging each other. He tells us to actively consider how we can best love one another, stir each other up to keep doing the right things, and encourage one another. Richard Ross, in his books, The Supremacy of Christ, he said, believers need one another to inspire and refire one another, to stir up faith and confidence toward God, to purify passion for Christ and his global cause, and to remain fully alive to all the hope believers were meant to have. You want to stay inspired in your faith, refired in your faith, stir up that confidence towards God consistently, have a kingdom mindset consistently, remain fully alive to the hope that he's given us. We stay that way whenever we stay within community around believers that keep consistently point us towards him. Like our pastor HUC likes to say a lot, the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. An authentic intentional community is vital to the Christian life. Because whenever you have strong believers in your corner that you know that you can lean on whenever things get difficult, you will be much more apt to be bold with your faith because you know you have a community to fall back on whenever the enemy has pushback. Stay within community. And our last baby step to boldness today is ask God. Ask God. Verse 24 says, when they heard the report, they heard about Peter and John's arrest. They lifted their voices together to God. What would we have done in that situation? You know, your pastors get back. They, they, they tell you, you know, we've just been arrested. We've been threatened. What do we do? We go into problem-solving mode. All right, all right, well, all right, Peter and John, uh, you guys can't be in the same place at the same time. It's too dangerous. We need to add security. We need to keep you guys safe. You know, maybe we need to lighten up on the message a little bit. You know, this whole Jesus raising from the dead being the only way to salvation, it's ruffling some feathers. So maybe we need to pull back on that message a little bit. No, no, yeah, we, we believe that completely, but maybe we don't need to say it as much. You know what they did? They prayed. They lifted their voices together to God. In verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants what? What would we have prayed for? Grant to your servants safety. But you know, God never promised a safe life. In fact, he told us to expect opposition. He promised us that we would go through tribulation. He said people would hate us for our faith. And we get so bent out of shape and confused whenever they try to come for our religious freedoms. Or they push back on Christianity more than anything else. We're shocked by it. And Jesus told us it was going to happen. We should expect it. Think about it. In our, in our everyday prayer lives, do we pray more for safety or do we pray for boldness? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Why? Because he's overcome the world. They said, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And I read this for the first time, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, didn't they already have boldness? Verse 14, we read, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They're already bold, so why do they need to pray for it? Because they understood that this boldness 
wasn't theirs to begin with. And you have to think about what preceded the boldness. In verse 8, we see that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 13, we say they observed the boldness of Peter and John. You see, boldness is always preceded by the filling of the Spirit. And whenever we're filled with the Spirit of God, boldness again comes more out of instinct than it does discipline. That's why Jesus said in Luke 11, if you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? But how often are we asking him? The early church knew that they needed to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit and they regularly asked for it and he knew that they would answer. And it says in verse 31 of Acts 4, it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result was they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I love the word picture there. They were shaken by the Holy Spirit so they wouldn't be shaken by the threats of the world. They lived in a desperation for more of Jesus and they couldn't get enough of him. And we need to get to the point where we understand how much we desperately need to be shaken and filled by the Holy Spirit of God on a consistent basis. And I got one more illustration that I want to leave you with today. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit can be a controversial issue among uh, Christians who like to have pointless theological debates a lot. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is a lot like making a cup of chocolate milk. Amen? Now, whenever you're making a cup of chocolate milk and you pour the delicious Hershey's chocolate syrup in, if we leave it just like that, this is actually chocolate milk. And it doesn't really look like chocolate milk. If you take a sip, it's not really going to taste like chocolate milk, but it is by definition chocolate milk. It's just not very evident that it is chocolate milk. The same is true with a lot of believers. No, Ephesians tells us that the moment we believe we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of redemption. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And each and every believer, when the moment we believe, the moment we come unto salvation, we are all given the same measure of the Holy Spirit. There is not another pastor or a worship leader or anyone that's more anointed with the Spirit than anyone else. That was the old covenant way. We are living in a completely new era where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. We all have the same measure of the Holy Spirit living within us. However, if we allow the Holy Spirit just to stay settled and stagnant, it can appear as if we don't even have the Holy Spirit. Now he's there. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. It is not very evident that he is there. However, whenever we regularly cry out to God and ask him to shake us up and we get into his word and we start seeking his face more than we ever have before and we start coming in to worship with the sole purpose of coming unto his presence and we allow him to shake us up, all of a sudden everything changes. All of a sudden we're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to think different. We're going to taste different and people are going to look at us and see us walking in a power that we never thought possible. And that is when we leave people astonished. Once we cry out to God and ask him to fill you and to shake you, it's impossible to stay the same. We are shaken by the power of God so we don't have to be shaken by the threats of this world. We are shaken up and filled with the Holy Spirit so we don't have to be shaken by the feeling of fear. We want to be shaken so we won't stay the same. 
And that's when expectations are blown away. And that's when you, you say, when people look at you, you say, why are you looking at me as this is happening because I'm super spiritual or something? No, this is just God doing what God does, and I desperately want more of him on a regular basis. And he loves to fill us on a regular basis when we cry out to him. And because I'm filled with the power of God, I can boldly say something. Because I have the Holy Spirit of God, I can boldly take advantage of and create those opportunities. Because I have the Holy Spirit of God, he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know I can boldly stay within community. And because I have been given the Holy Spirit as direct access to the Father, I can on a regular basis, as Hebrews 4.16 says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Boldness comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. We have them. There's a lot of us that aren't being filled with him because we stay settled and stagnant. And you know, a lot of Christians will have that moment at salvation where, where we have a good church service or we have a good camp that we go to, a good conference, and we get shaken up, we get all excited about God, feel a little more bold when we come back. But you know what's going to happen to this chocolate milk if I just leave it sitting here for a while? Eventually, all that chocolate's going to settle down at the bottom again, and it's going to look just like another cup of milk. And that happens to a lot of Christians. We forget to regularly ask. We think we've been filled up once. We're good. Now, this, the Christian life is not just one radical transformation at salvation. It's a series of radical transformations where God is constantly pulling you up and pulling you through and showing you more of yourself. And this is constant process of sanctification where he's constantly making you more like him. And it's an everyday choice. It's every single day waking up and saying, you know what, Jesus, I choose you today. Over all the things, Pastor Jim Simbler said, repentance should be an hour by hour, moment by moment practice in the believer's life we're constantly being shaken up, constantly looking to him. So wherever you are on the spectrum of faith, I don't care if you've been following Jesus for seven days or 70 years, we all need to be crying out to God to be regularly filled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that's what we do before we leave this place today. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As we leave here, we're going to leave with one more time of worship. But I would like to pray with us and over us. If you would, wherever you are, go ahead and stand to your feet. And if you feel comfortable, and if you want to be for God to shake you up this morning, I'm going to ask that you just place your hands out right in front of you as you're receiving a gift from the Lord. Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters and myself in this room right now. Oh, Father, I pray that you shake us up right now. I pray you do a work in day three, church, where we cry out for you and are aware of you filling us and shaking us more than we ever have before. Father, I pray that what happens in this room would not stay in this room because if it does, we're failing. But I pray we would boldly say something, take and create opportunities in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. Father, I pray we would boldly go wherever you would call us go. And Father, I pray you would keep our ears and our souls attentive to hear from you whenever you come talking. So fill us up right now, God. Shake us up right now, Lord. Make us more like you. Break our heart for what breaks yours. I pray we would look at this world. I pray that people dying and going to hell would truly bother us. And we would do everything we can to create those opportunities 
so we can share the hope and the love that you offer. Oh, Father, give us eyes to see the world as you see it. Give us eyes to see ourselves the way that you see us. And Father, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus, Father, that any sort of those chains or feelings of inadequacy, all those fear and hesitation that the enemy tries to put those lies into our ears, Father, I break those off in the name of Jesus right now. And I pray nothing but your truth would influence our thoughts and our minds. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that we get to see you work. Thank you that there's nothing we could ever do to deserve or earn being here right now. But because of your grace and your mercy, because you so loved us, you sent your son so we could have the opportunity to so love you back. So Father, let that be the goal of our lives. Just to love one another and love this world as you loved us. And live this life as a response to the glory awesome power that you are. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for who we get to be in you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.